You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, some things money can't buy. For everything else, there is Jeff McLarge Huge. Hey, everybody. Howdy. What's up? How are you? Oh, man, I'm good. I am very good. I'm having a, I'm having a good week. I've had a nice uh, holiday season, and, you know, uh, I was fully expecting by the end of this year that we would be invaded by like space crabs, um, <laughs> considering how things have gone. But seems that that hasn't happened. Uh, and if it has already happened, and you're listening to this from the ruins of our civilization, I told you. But uh, no, great man. How about you? How are you doing? Uh, <laughs> apparently, the meteor from Maximum Overdrive has come crashing through my office. Uh, <laughs> I just I decided uh, last week I was like, well, I'm gonna start I'm gonna start redoing my whole like. Uh, you know, computer area. I've, I've had the same desk you know, for literally since like the '90s, sometime, yeah. right? Yeah. So I want a new desk. So I bought myself a new desk, and then uh, my monitor. Like, if it went into sleep mode, I would have to. I, I had to just put on screensaver all the time because if it went into sleep mode, it would literally take a good five minutes to come back out. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it's like it, was, it took Nyquil or something. You know, once it's asleep, that's it. So I got that. So the desk was like, you know, 200 bucks. The monitor was another another $200. And then I knew, I knew it was only a matter of time before I needed a new computer. Right. I, I The last computer that I bought or put together or whatever was, oh, I'm going to say like 12 years ago. Like the processor was a quad, a quad core processor. Right, right, so right. that's how, that's how all the technology was, right? Right. I buy the desk on... Like it came in, uh, desk came in on Saturday. I bought the monitor on Monday. Tuesday, I turn on the computer and it just, it doesn't even get beyond the splash page. And I'm not talking the Windows splash page. Yeah, I'm talking about the motherboard splash page. Yeah, the BIOS splash page. Well, you know, when you, when, when you told me that and, and for the audience, you know, Bill sent me a well, lovely picture that said, rest, rest in peace of his, of his BIOS <laughs> screen. I'm off to buy a new computer. Was that when when you told me that you were getting a new desk and your desk was old enough to vote? I thought it was one of those pairings where, like, you know, you read the story in the news about the couple who's been married for like 91 years, and they're both in the in the hospital together in their last hours, and then one of them passes away, and the other one can't live without the first one, and then a few days later, that one goes as well. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Like so a- I thought that once the desk was gone, your computer was like, but but I've been sitting on your face for 20 years, <laughs> and then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, my uh, my monitor and my computer was Debbie Reynolds and Cabby, Carrie Fisher, Hofer, or the two Rodans at the end of Rodan. How's that? <laughs> I also had to pay the taxes on the uh, on the house, <laughs> and you know, Christmas just passed. So literally, I just like 
in, in a matter of days, I put like almost three thousand dollars on my credit card. Oh, ow. yeah, yeah, stings, stings just a bit. <laughs> Don't worry, it'll all pay for itself, Bill. Yeah, it'll all come I mean, out. You, I mean, it'll, it'll all come out of your bank account, and you'll yeah, pay it'll, it with your labor. It'll all come out in the wash. It is really nice having a new computer, though, because this thing, you know, it's a solid-state drive, so it just mm-hmm. it boots right up. Oh yeah, and and the monitor and see the old desk that I had. Uh, had like a little square that the monitor would go in. It was a kitty corner desk. Yeah. Now this this one I'm not not limited to what size monitor I can have. So I bought myself a much bigger monitor, which is going great with my rapidly failing eyesight. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> what's the what's this what's the uh, what's the last line you can see on the chart, Bill? Hold on, I'm gonna make this zoom up to 150 percent. Chart. <laughs> point, 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 just point me in the right direction. Just point, yeah, look, uh, look, I'm, I, you know, I'm not here for the details. Just tell me whether or not I can see. <laughs> what am I going to need right. to read something that's 50 feet away, huh? You tell me. All right. So before we get rocking and or rolling here, I got the week's trivia question for you. Are you ready? Oh, I like it. Uh-huh. I'm never ready, but yes. <laughs> All right. The game of tennis. I can hear you sighing already. Yes. I'm thinking right now, like, that's the game where the two people are playing effectively Gnipkinop while standing on the Gnipkinop board. Yes. And using a racket to whack a fuzzy ball, the kind that my dog destroys in a nanosecond. Right. Across a net to one another. And and wearing very sexy white shorts. Yes. Yes. So anyway, in the game of tennis, which is one of the most bizarrely scored games ever, but the score of zero, when the score is nothing... They call it love. Why is it called love? Oh, man. It's got what it takes. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Tell me why is it uh, called love? Got to know why. Yes. Uh, I now, have no idea, but I'm sure I'll come up with a I'm sure I'll come up with a convincingly bad answer by the end of today's podcast. All right. So going forward. This is the week beginning December the 28th, and hey, why don't you start this week? All right, December 28th. If you like the movies, Bill, and I know you like the movies, Bill. I've, I've, seen, a, like, I've seen a few. And you like going to the movies with people. I've we've, seen it. You know, we've talked way back in this podcast about how movies were invented by the Edison Company, by Thomas Edison and the Kinetograph, right? Where you look through yes. the little peephole and you watch the lady dance. Yep. Well, the reason you can sit in a movie theater and watch it with a whole bunch of people at the same time is from a couple of French brothers in 1895. Mm. The Lumiere brothers, as they're known, uh, are the first people to hold a commercial film screening. They held it at a cafe in Paris. And it was after their father, some years earlier, brought back a film strip because he had gone to an exhibition in the United States of an to see how the Edison kinetograph worked. So he bought a piece of film stock from a vendor, mm-hmm. gave it to his kids, his two sons, and said, hey, you want to find a way to make this cheaper so more people can see it. And rather than think of a way to make more or less expensive celluloid film, they thought, what if we could show this one film to a bigger audience and charge the audience for it? So ultimately, their approach to, to film display was to make it bigger so more people could see it at one time. And that change the face of of cinema now in that first film screening they they filmed things to show because it's not like you could buy stock from someplace so they showed you know people walking out of a mill that they filmed and then they showed people walking into a, the same mill later or a choo-choo train sort of charging at them and then just 
discharging, dis- discharging passengers and then people getting on the choo-choo train. So these like weird sort of documentary style slice of life films where they're just hand cranking the camera as stuff is happening around them because there's no, no one has figured out how to do storytelling with these yet. So the, the short answer is these guys invented, invented a projector? Yes. Okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I like the long story, but yes. Yep. It sounds way less exciting. Now, amazingly enough, you can buy a projector that's like half as big as a cassette tape. Right. And connect Bluetooth to it with your phone, and you and your friends can sit around and watch like Avengers Endgame. Yep. So, but that all started in 1895. That was a big uh, keep myself from going crazy by making myself go crazy project. Uh, probably about five, five or six years ago now is I built a, a small movie theater in my cellar. So I have a projector and I have the screen and the surround sound and all that. Now, had this happened, you know, 120 years ago, I would have built a kinetoscope in my cellar, I guess. Right, and you would have been saying things like, hey, you guys want to come over and watch a movie? I got some people walking out of a mill yeah. and I've also got a train letting off passengers at the station. Which one do you want to watch today? Ooh. I've also I've also got lady walking down the street with a basket of flowers. That's one of my favorites. And I don't know the people coming out of the mill. You had me. Yeah. Ah, you know I've already seen that one, but it's it's worth watching again. <laughs> I like the sequel, People Going Into the Mill. That one's a little bit more exciting. That's the prequel. One of the things that I'm learning as we do this podcast, Bill, mm-hmm. is the span of time that has elapsed between things that we sort of have now and take for granted and when they were first invented or first discussed or first explored in a way that made them a commercial technology. And that's something that'll come up as the day goes on today, I'm sure. It's It always amazes me that things that we have today are things that have evolved over time from 100 years or so ago, from that sort of weird inventor's golden age of the end of the the. the uh, 17th century, the 18, 1800s, 1890s. Yeah, you just, I mean, think about it. Like uh, the technology ball that got rolling, you know, we'll say 100 and, you know, fist around numbers 120 years ago, 125 years ago. Like right. what What were you idiots doing prior to that? You know? <laughs> right. Goes to the paradigm of like, you know, what is the application for the technology that you have? Somebody figures out a steam engine like, well, okay, now it can power boats. Now it can power cars. Now it can power trains. Now it can power a generator. Somebody figures out that you can use electricity to power a light bulb. What can you do with a light bulb? A light bulb can be used as Christmas lights, as Edison taught us last week. But it can also be used to project an image through translucent film onto a wall. Like, uh, there's this this movement of things that become, that become technologies that get adapted to the masses by virtue of their inexpensiveness and their novelty until they become something that you, you sort of have to have to continue moving forward. It's really neat. Really, really neat. All right. So the next day, uh, December the 29th, uh, kind of leads into that, but in reverse. So the next day, December 29th, 1966, there was the first transmission of the pirate radio station called Pirate Radio Phoenix. Radio stations fall under these huge guidelines, you know, with the FCC. You know, uh, freedom of speech exists everywhere except for apparently over the airwaves. You know, famously, there was a radio station that aired George Carlin's Seven Filthy Words, and therefore now you can't hear, you know, bad words on the radio anymore, uh, going back to, you know, whatever year that was. But 1966 was this, it was in Worcester, Massachusetts, was this pirate radio station, which these people were operating a radio station without a license, which is verboten, that is bad. Right. The reason that the regulations for for radio itself are so stringent, it's not so much because it's a worry about the content of whatever is being broadcast. It's more 
so that the person who's paid for the license to have that frequency can use that frequency and that the inner mod frequency bands between one set of channels and another set of channels doesn't get used that, that causes cross-channel interference so that if I listen to 94.3, the whatever, and you're broadcasting on 94.3.5 or 94.4, there's going to be interference between what I'm listening to and what you're broadcasting right. that's going to degrade the performance of the oh, signal. I, I'm, I'm a and, living example of that because... There was, and it's gone now, but there was a rock station out of Boston, 107.3 WAAF. When it went off the air, you know, everybody around here was kind of bellyaching about it. Well, not so much around here, but north of here, my friends, you know, were bellyaching about it. I was like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I've never heard that radio station in my life because down here in New Bedford, there is a top 40 station called fun 107 107.1 and because we're literally sitting right on top of the antenna i couldn't hear 107.3 yes and that's and that's exactly why there's that separation the, the thing with pirate radio is that it could jump around on frequencies and ultimately you could have your own pirate radio station right now if you wanted one by spending about 16 bucks um at your local wherever store that has electronic stuff and if you buy an fm transmitter for your car because you don't have like a an auxiliary connection and you want to stream from bluetooth to your car Mm -hmm. stereo you can do the same thing because it's going to broadcast to an existing fm channel we did that over the october at the haunted house that i work at we showed movies on a at a drive-in you know a makeshift drive-in theater and we were broadcasting over the FM stations, yeah. Right. So you broadcast it in low, low power over a, a, a station that's not allocated to right. a company. So like in my daughter's car, the Megmobile, her FM transmitter is pegged to 88.1 because there's no traffic on that channel. So f- her phone plays all of her favorite music over that station and you get to use the stereo speakers and everything else that's part of the pitiful portable picnic player that's in her her little uh, PT Cruiser. Now, there was a movie that came out in the late 80s called Pump Up the Volume with Christian Slater that, you know, he was running a pirate radio station. And I remember showing it to my, you know, millennial friends and it kind of made no sense to them because, you know, pirate radio is a, a bit of a lost art form, I guess you could say, because, you know, why transmit over radio waves to get your points across when you have TikTok and... YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and all that sort of a thing. But, and you can post on TikTok and Twitter and et cetera without going to prison because broadcasting on, you know, unregulated FM waves is very, very, very illegal. Now we have podcasts. So, yeah. Well, the, the, the question is that it's, it's again, it's a medium that is now, it was reserved for a small number of people who paid licensing fees to have access to those mediums in those areas. And now with the, you know, the democratization of broadcast by the use of something we'll talk about a little bit later today, the ability to transmit material over the internet, the need for that medium has changed. So there's, there really isn't a point other than for hobbyists to open a pirate radio station whereupon the FCC will come and sue them into oblivion when they could just sort of stream online. Now, a lot of the regulations are that cross over from one to the other, depending on what your content is. So if you're going to play music over a streaming service, be ready to be sued because the owners of that music, they want to be paid every time their music is played, which is how Spotify and some of the other station, right. um, sort of mimicking radio station internet technologies work. Right? They, they pay their artists, you know, however many cents every time their yeah. song gets played. Yeah, I mean, whenever we do Worst Song Ever, you know, I, I keep the clip under 30 seconds because I don't want to get sued. Do you? I don't. 
And, right. no, and there's right this on. wonderful thing called the fair use law that if you're using it to critique it, and we do, um, it's okay to use short clips. But moving on to the 30th, what do we got? All right, 1853, back in the 1800s again, a dinner party is held inside a life-size model of an iguanodon. A what? Uh, created by a guy named, uh, I'll get to that, an iguanodon, created by a guy named Benjamin Waterhouse Hawkins and Sir Richard Owen in South London. These dinosaurs that were used in this dinner are still in this in this park. They were, they were built based on like part of a jawbone and what they thought was a nasal horn and are big sort of like crocodile looking monsters. Oh. They look like really big monster iguanas. <laughs> is this is, are, the, are there pictures of these? They're, they're available. There are pictures of these. Cool. Yes, yes, there are, and then it's totally worth looking up, if, especially if you think of the way that we learn how things kind of were based on what we know at the time, and then what we learn later. So iguanodons are now sort of known as like big, standy uppy duckbill dinosaurs. <laughs> And at the time, they thought they were like giant lizards. So imagine you go to dinner, it's like, hey, yeah, why don't you climb into my giant lizard and we'll be serving the first course. And it was this really weird sort of brand new science of paleontology. And it was, a, it was all, it, be, it would become all the rage right after that. All of the society players in South London were in this, in this dinner. All I can think of is Pee-wee and Simone talking about her big butt inside the giant dinosaurs. <laughs> Pee's yes. big adventure. Yes. Yes, and I, I can I can always imagine I, I when I was reading about this I was thinking like imagine it's like Jurassic Park but it's 1825 no. or 1853 you know welcome to Jurassic Park your first course will be some soup and then everybody just eats and the movie's really boring it's like my dinner with Andre as opposed to dinosaurs <laughs> eating people so so in the technology timeline huge dinosaur dinner parties came before movies yes. Huge dinosaur din- dinosaur dinner parties did come before movies because they didn't have movies to like show them how dinosaurs did stuff. So it was like they would sit inside and be like, "I wonder how this dinosaur used to do things." Oh, pass the salt, please. Let's write this down. December thirtieth, twenty twenty. Bill no longer becomes nostalgic for anything. <laughs> anyway, they're still there. You can go check them out. It's they're neat. It, it sort of it's fun. It's an it's an interesting way to see how we we first started to make sense of what we were pulling out of the ground in the 1800s right. with actual science attached to it. And at so. that time, they still thought that dinosaurs were like huge lizards, where yep. we now understand that they're actually closer to related to birds. Yes, which makes perfect sense because the way they talk about dinosaurs and the way that you see them, like in Jurassic Park and Land of the Lost and and whatever is they always portray them as like super aggressive, which would make perfect sense because birds, by and large, are assholes. (laughs) Yes, they are. I mean, there's always a video on TikTok of somebody just getting like accosted by a chicken. And uh, there was a a miniature golf course that was like, there was always geese around. And God forbid you ball in near the geese because that was it. Geese are bastards and I hate velociroosters. (laughs) I've been chased by velociroosters and those things suck. and um, my, my friend Lisa and I have this, like, running gag. We started this years ago, but we still say it to this day. Swans? Swans are straight-up assholes. Yes. Geese are ge- – geese. I, I still have waking nightmares of delivering newspapers as a kid with my brothers <laughs> and trying to go deliver the newspaper to a house that had, like, friggin' a flock of geese in the front yard. And so he'd have to jump over and create a distraction so that I could run to the front door and throw the paper in before the geese got me. Ugh. Terrible friggin' animals. The only thing they're good for is Christmas dinner. Honking night terrors. You think dogs are bad? Pit bulls are... No. No, no, no. Geese. Geese suck. And they hate you. (laughs) They're coming for you and they're gonna eat everyone you love. They hate you, they hate me, and they hate this newspaper. (laughs) They hate everything. (laughs) Uh, You know what else geese hate? No. December 31st, 1935, Uh. Charles Darrow 
patents the game of Monopoly, and he becomes the first millionaire that made his money off of board games. Well, he's probably the first guy that figured out the key to that game is to get Park Place and Boardwalk early <laughs> and then put the put the hotels on them if, as quickly as you can, and then they'll pay for themselves in a short time. I want you to notice that the divorce rate prior to 1935 was staggeringly <laughs> low. Yes. But after 1935, yes. I mean... That game, Monopoly, I, I haven't played it in years. I honestly just do not have the time. So much of the stuff in my house is automated. I got one of those automatic vacuum cleaners. All the lights turn on and off by themselves. I got a, I can't even say her name because she'll freak out, but it starts with an A. I got all that stuff to save time. And somehow, I can't even consider having time to sit down and play Monopoly, which goes on for hours. I've never played a full game. Yeah. Have you? Have- we used to... Oh, yeah. I, we used to play all of, like, I had two brothers and I had a dad who was uh, alternatingly very in, into what we were doing and very distant at some points. But he would sometimes go to me and my two brothers and all of the neighborhood kids into, like, a Monopoly game on a Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And he was a fantastic asshole at Monopoly. <laughs> he was a swan so, at Monopoly. Not only would he beat us, he would leverage us to the point where we were turning on one another to, like... To, to try and stay in the game longer. He was unbelievably vicious as a Monopoly player. A trait that I inherited from him. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. When, I, when I, I first got married, this is some years back, Cindy and I bought a Monopoly game. And we're playing at her parents' house one night when her parents were out. I had loaned her money. I had set up hotel. Like, I was just taking money from her. And it was only a matter of time before she was done. And I was being, I was being like my dad. <laughs> So at one point, I'm like, I got to get up. I'll, I'll be right back. I have to go to the bathroom. So I went to the bathroom. And as I came back, she's stuffing the Monopoly board and all of the money into the fireplace. I mean, into the into the wood stove. <laughs> and she's just sho- shoving it all into the wood stove. And, and she just looked at me. She goes, game's over, dude. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and she burned up the whole Monopoly game that we had just bought like two days before. That was not fun. We did not play a lot of board games after that. Cards, yes, but Monopoly, no. So Monopoly can make people like really, really angry at one another. That's <laughs> funny. Day, I was like, I was like twenty five bucks. She's like, I don't care. <laughs> and in, in, in through the door it went. All right, now the day that everybody has been waiting for, the beginning of the new year, twenty twenty oh, is yeah. done. So what do we have for? January 1st. Yeah, January 1st. All right, 1983. The fact that you can listen to this podcast, the way that you're listening to this podcast is because of this technology. A technology for transmission called telecommunications, communications protocol, or internet protocol, or TCPIP, becomes the only approved protocol that's used on ARPANET, which is the beginning of the internet. And that spreads out as a standard across the entire internet. There are some other protocols that get used for stuff, but TCP/IP is the most common. I've seen uh, that. I've transport layer. I've seen technology. that. I mean, I don't know what it. What, what does it stand for? TCP/IP. Telecommunications Control Protocol Internet Protocol. I recognize that. I've seen it. You do the techie stuff. I mean, I. I do. I have a tech job myself. You know, I'm a programmer for CNC machines, yeah. but I don't deal with uh with the internet stuff too much. Very briefly, if you think of if you can, I'll distill it down into. In TCPAP, there are seven layers, but I'll distill it down into like three to make it simple. Okay. There's the physical layer. That's the wire. Yep. There's the communications layer. That's how you send things over the wire. Then there's the application layer. That's what you send through that thing over the wire. So you can sort of think of it that way. And TCP establishes those seven protocols. And that standard is what software and web browsers and other things are built on so that they can communicate 
irrespective of who manufactured the switches and routers and other things in between from one end of the network to another. Because it's standardized, everybody can use it. Because everybody can use it, there's an abundance of inexpensive solutions to networking problems. So with an inexpensive network, a lot of people can use that network resource to send out information, which is why we have the internet that we have now. We talked about pirate radio not long ago. Mm -hmm. You know, the first sort of technical internet pirate radio station was Napster, where you could go and download music that you wanted, you know, and if you think of it as a broadcast style it's probably not broadcast, but it, it fulfills the same the same thing. And it wouldn't be possible without that underlying protocol. And those protocols are published. You can go and, and if you want to, if you're an engineer and you want to design a program that uses TCP IP, you can go and find that and just build around it. It's not difficult to, to find. Yeah. And it's still used today, even irrespective of the wire that it travels over, whether it's wireless, copper, coax, or fiber. So, ah. It's cool. There's a lot of techie stuff in there, but uh, ladies. That's definitely a lot. Ladies and gentlemen. Our good friend, Jeff McLarge-Huge, does this for a living. This is part of his job. I, I, I could sit here and, and talk all about CNC machines and, and, and drafting tables and stuff like that and drafting software and have it make no sense to you, but I would try. But that, that that's what we're doing here. But on January 2nd, 1974, to conserve oil, which was in high demand and low supply, The United States of America reduced the highway travel speed to a maximum of 55 miles an hour. What used to take three hours now now takes all day. Giving Sammy Hagar a run for his money. Yep. (laughs) Uh, I can't drive 55. Yeah, pre-74, I think speed limits went as as high as uh, the upper 80s in places like Montana and other places that are are less populated. And after that, it was 55 everywhere leading to a, a resurgence in police officers making speeding tickets for people who used to drive 70 to work and now had to drive 55. Right. And it was 55 here in Massachusetts, you know, a well well beyond when that got lifted. We we yeah. stayed at 55 for a very long time. It's mostly 65 now. Right. But I remember the first time that I drove cross country um, which was 1997, once we got out of like New England and we started getting, actually, once we get past the Mississippi River, you start getting into like, you know, open road area and the speed limit was like right. 70 miles an hour. I took a picture of the sign because I couldn't believe my eyes. Well, it's, once you go past exit 19, I think exit 19 in, in uh, New Hampshire on 93 North, yep. it turns to 70. Sometimes I have to drive that way for right. work. And the first time I freaked out, I you know, and I'm somebody who's, I don't necessarily drive the posted speed limit. I'm going to put that out there without saying which way over the speed limit or under the speed limit I like to go. But generally, Twitly does not endorse driving. Generally, does not does not. Yes, we do not drive under or over the speed limit here. I was driving and I'm like, I'm like 70 miles an hour. All right, and and then not even 30 seconds after driving. At a posted 70 miles an hour, my brain is like, this, this seems a little fast. This, maybe we should slow this down a little bit. I don't, I don't know if 70 is a good and, – and once you're past exit 19 to New Hampshire, it's pretty much you, trees, and the occasional squirrel. There's like nothing going on. <laughs> so to think that we've been so conditioned since we've always been driving where the speed limit was 55 and until very recently in the scale of time, 65, that it's, it's, a, it's weird for us being able to speed up. It must have been torture for people who had to slow down. To slow down. Right. Especially it's like, oh, I just bought a 1974, you know, Dodge Charger with a 500 horsepower motor in it. And it can do zero to 60 in eight seconds and it can do 185 miles an hour. But I can't go yeah. faster than 50. Th- that was like a crazy time, too. I mean, I barely remember it, you know, because it was like oil crisis through, 
most of the 70s. Right. But I remember like my mom, you could only get gasoline on certain days of the week. If your last name, you know, it had these letters in it or whatever, you had to show your driver's license or whatever it was. Yeah. Because if it was a Monday and your last name didn't end in S, you weren't getting gas. Yeah. Yeah, and you could only get a certain number of gallons. Right. Like, I think it was like limited to three or five gallons a day, which at that time, that was like just enough gas to get home from the gas station. Oh, right. Yeah, like that charger uh, that you cars, just mentioned. You know. You know, that or, – right. or even better, the my first car that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. That, <laughs> that, that freak – The Mercury Marquis. Oh no, no, it was a Mercury Cougar. Mercury Cougar, yes. It was a, yes. the tank without a turret is what it was. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that thing got like a whopping like nine miles to the gallon, so – Right, right. Those and those huge cars were really popular at the time too. Yeah, no wonder with yeah, the oil crisis. Like messed up coupled with that, right? Is when it's like right around seventy four, seventy five that the U.S. imposed new new like standards and, and made catalytic converters mandatory on all new cars. So the era the era of the big muscle car just collapsed right. over the next five years, and people were starting to look for things like Toyota, Datsun. Chevrolet released the Vega, the Monza, the Chevette eventually, and all these little tiny cars to try and capitalize on that. Well, you know, you can't have 5,000 horsepower anymore, but you can have 20. If it takes everybody 13 seconds to go from zero to 50, who cares, right? right? Hey, are you worried about going over 55? Well, worry no more. We've got the Chevette. Yes, if if you think you're taking your life in your hands doing 85 miles an hour in a Dodge Charger, wait till you're going 45 in a Monza. (laughs) There's something that, like, the younger generation, like, won't understand if they ever see it is you get a car from like the very early 80s late 70s very early 80s and it'll have a little sign on it that says unleaded gas only because even when i worked at the gas station as a teenager we still had uh leaded and unleaded gas yep yeah when i was when i was a kid that was a thing too and and that transition to unleaded gas started right around 74 75 as well when they realized that the fumes from tetraethyl lead in the gasoline would make, like, it did brain damage to you. <laughs> it made you crazy and would kill you. It could poison you and kill you. It made you, you yeah. want to drive over to 55 miles an hour. Like a maniac. Like yes. a crazy person. Madness. It makes you want to join Van Halen. <laughs> so okay. next day up, last day of the week, January 3rd. Jeff, sock it to me. Sock it to me. Sock it to me. Huh. Sock it to me. Sock it to me. Sock it to me. Uh, 1987, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inducts the, its first female artist, who, as hinted at by my good buddy Bill, is uh, Aretha Franklin getting a lot of R-E-S-P-E-C-T from the Rock and Roll of Hall of Fame inductees. That was uh, not a hint. That was a staggering coincidence. Yeah, Aretha Franklin is kind of the, the queen. I want to say I don't want to say the queen of rock and roll, but she's definitely the first real breakout artist that transcended multiple decades, stayed on the pop charts from the 60s right through the when she passed away uh, and always had an impact. Everything that she did was groundbreaking. Yes. From soul songs to pop music to influencing rock and rollers, everything she did set a standard. And being the first female artist uh, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a fantastic honor. Aretha Franklin is like, she's also like a standard. You literally can't find somebody, unless they are the ultimate in contrarians, that, I mean, who doesn't like Aretha Franklin? Do I own it? Right. I mean, do I own any Aretha Franklin albums? Not technically, but nope. I mean, who doesn't? Who who like? Oh, I hate Aretha Franklin. You know? No, she's just yeah. No, no one, no one says that. Yeah. Anybody who says that is lying. Yeah, she actually performed for whatever reason. Vince McMahon never has the national anthem before the WrestleManias. He always does "America the Beautiful." 
It's probably because he's he's doing them from Saudi Arabia. Yeah, that could yeah that could that could be it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Aretha Franklin was there one year, and not only did she sing "America the Beautiful," she also played the piano. Did she pile drive the Undertaker? She did not pile drive the Undertaker, but she had a uh, a Hell in the Cell match later on the night with Patti Labelle. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I like I like just about everything Aretha Franklin does, even the things that I think where she was kind of like, yeah, well, there's a, there's a check attached to this, so I'm going to do it like Who's Zooming Who, Future War Song. Ever. Yeah, Freeway of Love, and, yeah. And Pink Cadillac also. Yeah. Even when I bump into those songs on the radio, I let them play out. Yeah. Because her voice is so amazing. Let's see if you remember this little piece of music trivia. Because she was such a huge goddess in the, in the in music industry, Whitney Houston is her goddaughter. I don't know. I don't know if you knew that. And, I did. and it's also I think it's like her aunt, too. Or I think there's some sort of relation there and or, or a distant cousin or whatever it is. And whenever Whitney Houston first came out, first song, first album, first music video, they actually had like a disembodied head of Aretha Franklin, like fading into the corner, just like, hey, look, it's her. You know her. Well, yeah, right. You like her? Yeah, I'm going to like Whitney. Okay. Yeah. Yes, for a while they sort of tread the same musical paths too, right around that time that she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the influence there can't be understated. Uh, made the transition. Never never did disco records, but always did in the 70s did pop records and then did adult technically adult contemporary but way more solely records in the 80s like amazing amazing uh career. All right. So, we're going to move on to the celebrity birthdays, but there is a tendril because this is a segue episode. Uh, True. All right. So, Aretha Franklin was in the movie The Blues Brothers performing Think. She was. And a guy celebrating his birthday on December 28th, uh, 1929, one of the Blues Brothers band, Matt Guitar Murphy. That's right. He was in the scene, you know. Yeah, Yeah, he played Aretha Franklin's husband. Four fried chickens and a Coke. (laughs) Jake! (laughs) Two pieces of dry white toast. Elwood! Elwood! Yes, that's him, McIntyre Murphy. Yep. So. Uh, you know what's funny? Go, go back and watch that scene. The guy with the long hair playing the saxophone. Yes. They, like, cut his head out of the scene constantly. <laughs> because, like, apparently Aretha Franklin doesn't like to lip sync, so she had to shoot that scene live. Yeah. And they couldn't go back and do retakes. So if you watch a scene, that guy's head is, like, cut out because I mean, they yeah. wanted to go back and reshoot, but they couldn't. So, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'll have, to, I'll have to watch that. Um, I know that the video of that segment is on is on YouTube, so I'll go I'll go watch that and, and giggle knowing that oh, now. Yeah. Um, too funny. All right. All right, next up. December 29th, 1959, uh, American stand-up comedian Paula Poundstone is born and still very active on NPR on Wait Wait Don't Tell Me. Yep. Had a had a bunch of specials out when I, when we were ki- when we were teenagers that did the you know all those like the comedian specials that were on HBO and other stuff and she's wicked wicked funny as we said. There was a big surge in uh, in stand up comedy in the uh, in the late eighties mid to late eighties and uh, with like all the young comedian specials and all that. And I remember MTV used to have a, a stand-up comedy show called The Half Hour Comedy Hour. And uh, and she was on there quite a bit. She has her own podcast, too. It's called Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. That's, I never listened to that. Uh-huh. Actually, uh, no, it's honest. Yeah. I still think like my favorite bit of hers is when she talks, like she does this whole thing on Pop-Tarts, and then which is funny, I guess. But then she's like, people ask me, like, why I don't put them in a toaster? Like, if you're going to do that, you might as well cook. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next up, December 30th. 
50% of the monkeys have a birthday on December 30th. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, 1942, Michael Nesmith, who is still alive. And 1945, yes. Davy Jones, who is not. Unfortunately, yep. yes. Uh, Nez is an interesting guy. You can follow him on social media. and His his posts are very strange. He's still touring with, with uh, Mickey Dolan's right now. Well, when touring is possible. Right. Mike Nesmith is a hardcore libertarian. Davy Jones, that the, he's the reason why David Bowie is David Bowie. Yes. Yeah, because yep. uh, when David Bowie was coming up, Bowie's birth name is Davy Jones. Right. David yeah, Jones. And yeah, da- and yep, and Davy Jones is already a popular name. He didn't want to get confused, so they changed it over to David Bowie. Yep, named after the Bowie knife. Uh, I went back not long ago and I watched the Brady Bunch movies, the ones that they did in the nineties. <laughs> yes, and the heavy metal version of girl look what you've done to me that davy jones sings it's yes. just it's so yes. brilliant it's such a those yes. movies are so much fun and and davy jones and mike uh not so much like nesmith he got a little too serious for his own britches at one point or another but a lot of the uh guys uh okay. but th- that whole scene with davy jones in that movie is like it's such a great you know the ability to laugh at your own ridiculousness and you know i, li- yeah. I like that in a person yeah, I like that in a person too. Um, I, it's hard to have a favorite monkey, right. right? But he's he's. I always look forward to like that when that episode of the Brady Bunch would come around in syndication. Be like, oh, it's the Davy Jones ones. I'll watch that one yep. to the end. I like Michael Nesmith's solo records or the stuff that he did with the the first National Band, which is a, a it's an underrated group that he put together after the Monkeys right. had and after he left the Monkeys. Worth checking out if you can. Yeah, and the Elephant Part videos are great too. Yes. All right. Next up, December thirty first, nineteen forty eight. My longtime love and first crush uh, in music, Donna Summer. The Queen of Disco. Queen of Disco. Yeah. I uh, still have the Hot Stuff record. Still listen yep. to it on purpose. And, and, and uh, we're a song ever alumni. S- still, for me, like uh, made, she made that transition from 70s to 80s and had greater success even in the 80s with stuff like She Works Hard for the Money and she was a staple on MTV for a few years. Yeah. Happy birthday. Next up, January 1st, 1943, wrestling manager extraordinaire Jimmy the Mouth of the South Heart. I remember always wanting to see somebody beat him mercilessly with a chair until he was dead. <laughs> yeah, he always walked around with that megaphone. It was like, come on, baby. Come on, baby. I, I met the guy. Super nice. Super, super nice. Like, uh, whenever I meet celebrities, I, I don't want to bother them and all that. He kept the conversation going himself. Yeah, he was yeah. super cool. Whenever the WWE Network first launched, they did this show that... Uh, I think they kind of thought better of it later on. But they did a show called Legends House, which was kind of like Big Brother, but with wrestlers. So they had... <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it goes as well as you think it does. And and who, pray tell, may have lived in this house together at, when things got and real? Roddy Piper, Pat Patterson, okay. Big Jim, um, Hillbilly Jim, Mean Gene Okerlund, and Jimmy, Mouth of the South Heart. And in this episode, Roddy Piper goes insane on a roid rage bitch. Yeah. Smash, smash! So it's every other episode of that uh, show. But Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Hart is literally the mouth of the South. The guy talks yeah. a lot and talks a lot. A man, a, a yeah. man after my own heart. And Mean right. Gene Okerlund, nope. as nice of a guy as he comes across as an interviewer, is right. kind of a dick. He was constantly yelling at Jimmy, "Get away from me, Jimmy! Get away from me, Jimmy! Get the hell away from me, Jimmy!" All right, next up. January 2nd, 1920, Isaac Asimov, the science fiction writer uh, and, and visionary golden age science fiction mind, uh, was was born in Petrovici, Russia. You should check out his stuff. 
it's been made into some movies that are terrible. Yeah, he did I Robot with Will Smith. That's his story, isn't it? Well, well, yeah, all right. So, I Robot is a collection of short stories that he wrote. I Robot is a movie that Will Smith is in. That's about all they have in common. <laughs> okay, they're they're so. based loosely on uh, Isaac Asimov stories. It's based loosely on the title of I Robot. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That's exactly right. All right, and wrapping up the celebrity birthdays, January the 3rd, 1946, the guy that everybody seems to forget from Led Zeppelin, John Paul Jones, the bass player. That's right. All those super memorable bass lines. Exactly. I mean, because, well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, Robert Plant has got that, you know, that that screech of a right. voice, and Jimmy Page right. is this amazing blues guitarist. John Bonham is the fantastic, amazing drummer, and John Paul Jones is in the band. Yeah, and then there's John Paul Jones. Not, you know, not to say anything bad about him, but he's kind of like, you know, with Rush. You know, Alex Lifeson is a great guitar player, but he's just so overshadowed by everybody else. But, yep, Led Zeppelin, that was a band that I did not get into until I was way, 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 way later on in life. I, I like, heard a song, like, on Pandora or whatever, and I was like, who's this? This is really good. And it was, like, some obscure Led Zeppelin song. Led Zeppelin's, Led Zeppelin's kind of fun in that half of their songs are stolen old blues songs from... right old blues people in the 30s, and the other half are songs about hobbits. <laughs> Led Zeppelin have a lot of, lot of great songs. Even though I never really got into them for a long time, I don't think they uh, they would ever really be capable of writing. The worst song ever. This week's worst song ever, let me tell you something, I've got a freaking doozy this time around. Okay, lay it on me. This song was the number one song in 1972 in this week. The name of the song is Brand New Key by a folk singer named Melanie. Listen to this. Listen to this. So, as is often the case, I, I I like this song. No, you don't! <laughs> do, I do, actually. I do like this song. I, no, I like, like I, hold uh, on. Like, yes. this song comes on the radio and you're like, hold on a tick. I gotta turn this sucker up. I do, and I sing along with it, too. For that horrifying falsetto that I have. But, yeah, I, 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 like, I like this song. I like it. Now, there's a bigger conversation about this, though. Like, well, I don't really like folk music to begin with, especially this era of folk music, yeah. like this late 60s, early 70s. Not my bag of dope, okay? Yeah. If I had a hammer, there'd be no more folk singers. <laughs> I, I do. I like sort of the girl and guitar style folk songs. One of the reasons I think I still like Taylor Swift as much as I do is a lot of her music comes from this tradition of this style of music. I like Joni Mitchell. I like all that stuff. So... Does so, yeah. Taylor Swift have a brand new pair of roller skates? She may. <laughs> she she may indeed. And if she does, I've got a brand new key. 
You just like this song because you got a freaking. Uh, I, I also love roller, roller skating. skating. Yeah. And yes, if it was called "I've Got a Brand New Toboggan," I probably wouldn't care <laughs> as much. But I don't toboggan. I like to roller skate. So, so I've got me. a brand new electric hovercraft. You got a fire <laughs> extinguisher. <laughs> yeah, you can add pretty much anything together in this one. So yes, yeah. but I I do like this song, and it it reminds me of a song I don't like. It reminds me of a song I don't like, too. It reminds me of a song called Brand New Key about a freaking pair of roller skates. Well, at least it's only two minutes and 30 seconds long, Bill. So you're in and out of it before you even realize that the song is on. I think it's it's a cute novelty song. I like her other songs, too. Um, And she's got like 700,000 million records out because there's that subgenre is really popular still. No kidding. Like I looked up because, I mean, it was I was like I heard the song and I'm like. Oh my god, I know this song. This song's terrible. I was like, who does this? Melanie. Some mono-anonymous. I think that's in the way they say it whenever you, you're only known by yeah. one name. Mono-anonymous name. I was like, okay, I, I've never heard of this girl. I don't know anything about her. And I look up. And she's got a discography of like 43 albums. Yeah. Yep. I was in a band for yep. 12 years. We didn't even come close to writing 43 songs. Never mind a whole lot. Jesus, lady, slow down. Yes. Yes. And she she's definitely was prolific. But I mean, this is the kind of music that lends itself to that sort of prolificness. It's it doesn't it's not a it's not a band that you're writing for. It's writing for a person. It doesn't have a backing vocals, really. It's it's sort of single girl and single guitar. So it can come out quickly. She has other stuff that's more orchestrated for sure. But this song, it's like cute and memorable. And it's just long enough for me, at least to keep from getting irritating. At two minutes and twenty-seven seconds, so I like twenty-seven it. seconds. That's all I give it. Yeah, well. twenty-seven seconds, which is like just about as long as the clip that I stuck in there. That's that's as long as I can understand this. You can torture me with this song all you want. Here's where I torture you in the game of tennis. Oh God, I thought he'd forgotten about this. Nope, I never forget. <sighs> all right, the game of tennis this is the answer to our trivia question. The game of tennis. When the score is zero, they refer to it as love. And why right, is it ca- why is it called love? I'm going to logically deduce, a la Sherlock Holmes, why this is the case. Okay. And I'm going to work backwards from the conclusion to the reason. Are you ready? It yep. is called love because the person who is going to serve the ball is holding a fuzzy ball in their hand. And you only want to hold fuzzy balls in your hand if you love someone. And we've hit a low. Is that... Am I right? How close to the mark am I? Did I hit the line or the net or did I go over and make a good shot in this stand-up version of Gnip Gnop that we're discussing? John McEnroe would be yelling at you at this point. He's probably touching his own fuzzy balls while he yes, listens to this exactly. show. Or Tatum O'Neill was. And, wow, these are some dated jokes. So anyway, uh, tennis is actually a French game. Sacre bleu! Yeah. The word for egg in French, is pronounced oof. Well, that makes tons of sense now. And whenever, you know, like whenever somebody's got a zero, you're like, zero, the big goose egg. That's what they're actually saying. So when you're saying love, you're actually saying in French, the egg. Well, okay, so if that's the case, why is it when you get a point in tennis, it's called beef bourguignon? (laughs) Why is it called Frère Jacques? (laughs) What was the score? It was Chateau Briand. (laughs) Yeah, the extent of my French, you know, starts and ends with uh, with escargot, I guess. Everything I learned about French, I learned from Inspector Clouseau. <laughs> and which is funny because my my family's French. You'd think I would know more, but I don't. So I understand a little bit of French. I do uh, just from osmosis, from being around my family when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we were up in Montreal, and everybody speaks French. 
So my friend Tom, we're in the convenience store, and the girl is asking him in French, "Do you want, you know, do you want your stuff in a bag?" And she just goes, "Sock," and he's like, "What? Sock?" And he's like looking at me all confused. I was, I go, "She wants to know if you want a bag, you idiot." Yeah, you should just answer for him. Uh, we. Oui. Yeah, we. Oui. We. <laughs> uh, oui, huh? See that? I speak French, huh? <laughs> And then, and then she said, uh, "Tabernacle," and I was on, I was on my way out. All right, <laughs> all right. Well, that wraps up our, our week of Twibley and the year of Twibley. Uh, yeah. We will see you guys next week, twenty twenty one, onward and upward. Yay! Right. Happy New Year, everybody. Say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. See you guys. Year, Special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook and Instagram at Twibley, or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already, and tell your friends. They probably need a cool podcast to listen to as well. And if you don't like this week's episode, there'll be one next week, and it'll probably be better. <laughs> <laughs>